Hello. Welcome to the Myths and Legends of Europe. Before I start today's chapter, a quick announcement. As you're probably aware, this is going to be the last in my series on the legend of Beowulf. In three weeks' time, because I'll be taking a week's gap, I'll be coming back with an announcement of what we're going to do next on this podcast series. In the meantime, though, I've just realised that I have 26 chapters on the myths of ancient Greece associated with my other podcasts, The Myths and History of Greece and Rome. In order to make this podcast complete, I'm going to add those 26 episodes immediately after the Beowulf series to this podcast. So, for those of you who don't listen to The Myths and History of Greece and Rome, I hope you enjoy these 26 chapters. For those of you that do listen to my other podcast, then please please feel free to ignore them and come back in three weeks' time for the announcement about what comes next. Okay, The Legend of Beowulf. Chapter 5, Beowulf's Barrow. Beowulf, the great king of the Geats, was dead. He had succeeded in his final quest, despite being a very old man and the dragon who had guarded the hoard of treasure had been vanquished. The fire-breathing monster would no longer terrorise his people or any other peoples, and the Geats were suddenly in possession of a significant quantity of gold and jewels. Wiglaf looked down at his master. It was a terrible and hard sight for the young man to see the king of the Geats lying dead on the ground. Not far away, the guardian of the horde also lay dead. Wiglaf looked from one to the other and bowed his head for a few minutes. As he stood there, he contemplated the last battle of Beowulf. He realised that his leader had given his life in order to obtain the hoard. His death meant the Geats would be wealthy. He had given his life for his people. Wiglaf's meditations were interrupted when the other men who had accompanied Beowulf on his final mission emerged sheepishly from the woods. They bore their weapons and shields shamefully, fully aware of their cowardice. They laid down their arms where the old man lay and looked at Wiglaf. Wiglaf son of Wjokstan, turned and regarded the late arrivals with something approaching utter disdain. Presently, he spoke. This man, the great Beowulf, gave you all the gold and war gear which you wear. When he sat at the ale bench, he would often give out the best chainmail and helmets to those who he trusted to be there with him in battle. Well, it was wasted on you lot, wasn't it? God gave him such strength, he was able to avenge himself with his own courage and his own weapon. I was ill-equipped to help him in his fight, but I supported my kinsmen all the same. I gave more than I really had in order to aid him when it was most needed. I weakened the enemy with my sword, and the fire from his head welled less strongly. Together we defeated the beast, and our great leader struck the mortal blow. Wiglaf's tone grew even more serious. Where were you, you snivelling wretches? he asked. The men seemed to shrink and squirm, Not one uttered a word. Wiglaf continued. None of you will receive any treasure. None of you will continue to have the satisfaction of a comfortable home, or, indeed, ownership of anything. From this day forth you will be wanderers with no land rights. Lords and earls in lands far from here will hear of your cowardice. Death would be better than the disgrace in which you will live for the rest of your miserable lives. Wiglaf gave orders that the outcome of the battle be broadcast all over the city and the land of the Geats. A band of earls had sat on the headland all morning, beside their shields, waiting for news, good or bad. Many of them had been expecting the worst, and thinking that their great leader would not be seen alive again in his kingdom. The rider dispatched to carry the bad tidings did not try to sugarcoat the news. He called out, 
The Lord of the Geats lies on his slaughter bed. Our loving provider lies dead by the poison of the dragon. The enemy has also perished, vanquished by the knife of our fallen leader. Wyokstan's son Wiglaf abides there with Beowulf. The living lord waits with a weary heart on the dead one. The death of our king, when learned about by the Franks and the Frisians, forebodes a time of wars for our people. We will receive no mercy from the Merovingian king. The Swedes will not deal fairly with us either. They will attack us when they learn of the demise of our leader. He increased the welfare of all his folk, and he remained, to the end, a true hero. The messenger then spoke a little more softly. It is time now for us to go to our king and look upon his lifeless self. It is time for us to bear him to his funeral pyre. He will not be dispatched poorly. There is a wealth of treasure, and much of it will accompany him to his resting. No warrior or lady will be adorned by any of the jewels recovered from the hoard. And that's how the news reached the gates of Beowulf's death. With heavy hearts, the band of earls and the rest of the people climbed the eagle's crag. When they viewed the terrible sight of their dead master, their eyes filled with tears. There on the sand they saw the king's lifeless body. The man who had given them rings, armour, weapons and untold glory lay dead on a bed of sand. The final day had come. Another sight drew the gazes of the Geatish lords. Lying near, Beowulf, was the once mighty fire-breathing serpent. The loathsome worm was stretched out near the Geatish king. It had been scorched by its own fire. It measured 50 feet from the top of its head to the tip of its tail. Once it had been the master of the air and jealous guardian of vast treasures. Now it was, in death, as mortal as any man. Nearby the dragon were pots and dishes and a pile of swords, rusted by resting there for a thousand winters. This gold of men from long ago was enchanted. Only the man chosen by God himself, the true king of victories and protector of mankind, was able to open the hoard. It had proven deadly to many men. A brave warrior should end his life with heroism when he can no longer enjoy the mead hall of his friends, and this was the lot of the brave Beowulf. He didn't know he was to end his life in this valiant quest. The princes who had deposited the gold had cursed it such that the man who chose to rob it would always be marked a criminal. But Beowulf didn't have robbery in his mind. He was driven not by greed, but by heaven's grace. When everyone was gathered, Wiglaf, son of Wyokstan, spoke. Often many must endure distress for the loss of just one. We tried and tried to persuade the great Beowulf not to take on this daunting foe, but although we urged him as strongly as we could, he still chose to take on the task. Much as we begged him to leave the hoard untouched and allow the serpent to continue its jealous guard, he would not be swayed. The treasure is now ours, but at such a great cost. I was there. I saw the immense and indescribable wealth. I picked up a handful and bore it back to my leader. He was still alive when I returned to him, and in full command of his wits. He asked me to order you to build him a barrow fitting for his achievements. It must be conspicuous and magnificent, just as he was. Now come with me, and we will see the treasure, the wondrous awesome spectacle beneath the earthen walls, for a second time. Let the beer which will carry our king to his resting place be ready when we come out, so that we can carry him to the place where he will abide for ever, safe in the shelter of the Lord above. People from far and wide were ordered by Wiglaf to construct a huge pyre for the hero. Wiglaf again spoke. Now the flames shall grow dark and the fire will destroy the greatest of warriors. 
Wiglaf called out seven thanes to accompany him, and together they made their way beneath the unfriendly roof, their way lit by a blazing torch. As they left, the rest of the people began to build the pyre. When the men reached the massive pile of treasure, they were overawed. Never had they seen so many glinting jewels, so much gold and silver, so many fine weapons, all gathered in one place. They gazed at it in amazement. Only Wiglaf, who of course had already seen the hoard, remained unmoved. Calling the men from their reverie, he commanded them to take the entire booty up to the surface. This, after a few trips, they accomplished. When the eight Geetish lords reached the surface, they marched over to the body of the fiery serpent. Without ceremony, they pushed the beast over the cliff edge and watched, as, seemingly in slow motion, the giant lizard fell towards the sea. It crashed into the waves with a splash akin to that which would be caused if the moon fell into the ocean. The waters engulfed the fallen dragon, and before long it could no longer be seen. The men looked on as the waves took their foe, the beast that had killed their master, and once it was gone, they collected the horde and made their way to Horonsnes. When they arrived at their destination, they were met by what seemed the entire Geetish race. The people had worked together long and hard to construct a pyre for their fallen leader. When it was finished, it was not a pretty sight, but it was certainly magnificent. Shining coats of mail and helmets were hung on it, just as Beowulf had desired. The eight picked up the Geetish king and laid him on the pyre, lamenting as they did so. Then they lit the fire and ignited the biggest of funeral blazes. Black wood smoke rose up from the blaze, sound of roaring flames were matched in volume by the wailing and weeping of the Geats. A woman, her hair bound up, loudly and beautifully sung out songs of grief. The songs spoke of the horrors to come now that Beowulf was no more. In her lament, invading armies, captivity and humiliation awaited. As she sang, heaven swallowed the smoke. As Beowulf had ordered, the Weathergeetish nation constructed a stronghold on the headland, so large that sailors could see it from miles and miles away. In ten days they had built the beacon. Around the remainder of the pyre they built a strong wall. In the barrow were placed rings, jewels, collars and much more of great wealth. They trusted the ground with the treasure of the princes. It lies there yet. To this day no other man has seen it. Then twelve warriors rode around the barrow, spoke of their king and mourned him. They praised his heroism and trumpeted his feats of courage. All of this was fitting. It is right that men should cherish the memory of greatness and honour the man who possessed it. And thus was the way that the Geats lamented their beloved master. They said he was, of all the world's kings, the gentlest and most gracious and the kindest to his people. And with that, they said goodbye to Beowulf. In three weeks' time, as I said at the beginning of this chapter, I will make an announcement as to what's going to happen next on this podcast. So, until then, have a great three weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.